How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com. And everywhere you download podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello. And joining me, former University of Hawaii offensive lineman, the Shaka throwing RJ Hollis, Spectrum Sports Analyst. And bro, it was one of those weeks. The University of Hawaii football team falls to three and four, losing the San Jose State at Aloha Stadium, a game that was supposed to be on the road in the Bay Area. But of course, because of COVID-19 restrictions in Santa Clara County, at the last minute, that game was moved to Halava under the Hawaiian sun. And the Spartans showed up, improving the 5-0 and on the season. We have a lot to talk about in regards to this game and moving forward as we now sit at the final week of the regular season, believe it or not, for the Rainbow Warrior football team. But first things first, man, before we start delving into this thing deep, what was the biggest takeaway? What did you learn about this UH football team against San Jose State in that 35-24 loss? Uh, I know this may sound really, you know, short-sighted or really blunt, but honestly, nothing. There was nothing that we saw you know, as analysts, I'm pretty sure as fans that we didn't already know. You know, it's a defense that's solid until they meet a solid running game. They're giving up 230 yards a game. It's a team that usually starts slow offensively. This game, they started slow on both sides. And then somehow San Jose found a way to remove Chevin Cordero and Calvin Turner from the offense. And we already knew if any team ever figured out how to do that, it's pretty much going to be a nightmare for the Bulls. So, I mean, a lot of things coming in this game, we kind of already knew, and it seemed that they just, you know, came to fruition. Yeah, we, we talked about it recently, about the Shevin and Seven tandem. They were pretty much zero and zero in regards to how they affected this ball game. Shevin Cordero goes 28 of 42, 238 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. He was only sacked once. Um, and, you know, obviously, when you look at the numbers, Shevin Cordero, you read those numbers off and it's like, OK, that, you know, that, that's pretty solid. But when you look at the first quarter and what they were not able to do and he was not able to complete a pass, uh, they are, are now outscored 72 to 17 in first quarters this season and 118 to 61 in first halves this season. RJ, it's been the theme of this team coming out slow from from my perspective, it, it almost looks like, and you hate to put it all on one guy, because definitely not on one guy, and that's not what I'm saying here. Mm -hmm. But in that quarterback position for Shevin Cordero, it almost seems like he's a different guy when his back's against the wall. And we've been seeing that throughout his entire career, right? Where when things are chaotic, he appears to be the most comfortable. That's when his, his uh, he becomes more accurate. It's when the big plays happen. And that's exactly what you saw against San Jose State. You fall behind 21-0, and then all of a sudden, the offense starts working. You're able to throw into tight windows. You're able to complete passes. What do you think it is that creates this slow start for the football team? And I know it's easy to say, like, hey, they got to – you know, just come out with more fire, you know, or, or whatever it is. Um, is there something more to that? I mean, you know that that plays are scripted. It, should it be something that, hey, the coaches script the plays, but let's not tell the players. Let's not right. tell the players what the script right. is, because it seems to be that when things get more chaotic, they get more comfortable. No, I, I think you hit it on the head, Rob. I mean, yeah, you know me. I'm a rah-rah guy. You check my film. I'm always, you know, about to get people hyped. But not everybody does that. That's not everybody's, you know, uh, cup of tea. And that's understandable. But like you said, I think there needs to be some sort of 
methodic madness coming out. I mean, you know, maybe start with a, a, a double reverse pass, maybe get Calvin Turner and the Wildcat just to start, get some sort of fire coming out early. But I, I think you definitely hit it on the head. This seems like something that has to be done schematically. I don't think, you know, even at this point, seven games in, you're just going to put some loud hip-hop music on and all of a sudden it's going to come out and change. I think there definitely has to be some sort of strategy to the first quarter, especially when you look at Hawaii, besides against Wyoming, has either tied or won all of its second halves, meaning – once the halftime break comes out, there's something in this team that just wasn't there in the first half. And then you have the 29 points against Boise. You have this week where you tied 14-14 with San Jose, but giving them such a long and, and big gap to have to come back to in the second half when they do get the juices flowing. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible. If you look at it this week, the first four drives, all were under 90 seconds. You have 13 plays that result in 30 yards. And actually, one drive was 92 seconds. So anybody want to go fact check me? I got you. <laughs> but when you have 13 plays that only go for 30 yards, and that's four punts, I don't care if you got Alabama's 2010 defense. Like, you're not going to put yourself in good positions to go and compete. And this isn't, you know, a team that can give such a head start – believing they have so much talent that they can come back 21 points if we can give it. We can come back 14 points if we can give it. No, these are Division One teams that have scholarship players, that have players that want to get to the NFL, that have players that want to, you know, have their name known in the Mountain West and at their respective universities. So if you think that you're just going to allow that much of a head start to somebody who's in the same category as you, the result is going to be what, what we've seen last week. You know, what's interesting is that you've seen bad University of Hawaii football offenses in the past. And I think the difference here is that you can see this offense working. I don't think it's one of those situations where it's like burn the thing down, burn that playbook, never call those plays again. Because in games and in games this season, you see it not work in the first quarter. And then it works in the second and third quarter. And then maybe in the fourth quarter, it's a, it's a you know, coin flip. So to me... It, it shows you what this offense, what, what the identity of this offense, what the lifeline of this offense is. And really, it's, it gets you to third and short. I mean, that, that's the, the focus of this offense. Right. And so when you have an offense that, like you did against Nevada or even against Fresno State off the top of my head, where, where you're going like 80% on third down conversions because you're creating a ton of third and shorts and you're converting on them, you're going to win football games and you're going to keep the ball away from the opponent and you're going to burn clock. And you're going to win that physicality battle because as the series goes on and as that possession goes on, you start to gain more and more momentum. The biggest problem is that in first halves this year and first quarters mainly is that you're not completing that second and eight on a wide open pass where the receiver's wide open, he drops it or the receiver's wide open, it gets overthrown. And so when you have games where you're going 40% on third down conversion or less, like you had against San Jose State, that creates the problems that you're looking at right now. It's, it's a working offense. It moves. Points get scored. Shevin has definitely had a couple of weeks where it's like, oh, you know, this, this kid's definitely got what it takes. Nick Martiner's had some games where he's popped up and shown out. Calvin Turner, you know, Melky Stovall. These are all players that have had moments where you see like, okay, this works. It can ball. The one thing I definitely think they need to 
emphasize more in this offense is getting a solidified running game in. Definitely need to do that. Chevin needs to stop running the ball so much. But no, you 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 hit it on the head, Rob. There's too many good moments in the offense, especially when you look at the second half of games. You see there is some sort of, of methodology that's working in this offense. You just got to get, you know, like you said, those second and eights. You can't sell the, the comeback routes. You can't miss the cut routes. You can't run into your own receiver. You can't lose one-on-one matchups. You know, you can't miss – a blitz coming from the B gap as an offensive lineman. So it's, you know, all of these facets have to come together to make a good offense. And I think the problem is mostly becoming that they're just not all clicking at once. You know, Shevin might be on fire. Offensive line ain't helping him out. The running backs might be raring to go, but they keep passing the ball. Whatever it is, they just have to find a way to get all the mechanics and all the players to come together where it's just a beautiful choreography. And, you know, I said this a couple of weeks ago, it'd be totally different if they just got blanked the entire game, it would be totally different if they just got blanked over and over and over again. If that's the case, scrap it, whatever you tried your best. And you know, you can live with that. When the problem comes in is when you see the 29 point second half against Boise. The problem comes in when you give up 21 to San Jose, then get 17 of your own unanswered. It's like, why give them the 21 point head start and not have nothing to show for it offensively? So I think there's definitely little minute, you know, sort of plays and structures. And maybe they need to find a way to get guys like Koali Nishigaya in there. And, you know, when they figure it out, it happens. It shows it works. So whatever they got to do to figure out how to get it to happen more often, that needs to be their main focus. I don't think it needs to be, you know. Let's throw it all away. No, a lot of your stuff works. Calvin Turner has turned heads all season based off of the offense you've created for him to flourish in. So there definitely just has to be, you know, tweaks here and there, and they really have to emphasize that running game. And I do believe this offense can be, you know, just as good as years past. Is that the most frustrating thing about this season is that, you know, it's so much easier, right, to to, to see something that's not working and say, like, up oh, next Let's start over. Let's burn this thing down. Uh, is that what makes it, you think, the most frustrating even for the fan base is that you can see glimmers and you can see that, like, let's talk about the defense, or, you know, for, for instance, where you see that despite the numbers, I think anyone that watches the game will probably say this is probably the best defense the University of Hawaii has had in 10 years. What, what does that do for the players in the locker room? Do you think it adds confidence that, hey, we know that this is, we're close? we're close, we're inching closer to where we need to be? Or do you think that it's just piling on as the weeks go on and, and, and it could be something that's detrimental to the growth of this team because it becomes a reoccurring theme? I think it's half and half. I mean, half of it is the players obviously being frustrated with themselves. As a player, you go out there and you always want to give your best. You always want to ball out. But there's also a point where you start to wonder as a player, you know, that I can't call plays. Maybe it's just not the right plays being called. Maybe, you know, they have a favorite target or they have a favorite scheme. They have a favorite strategy. And it kind of starts to those thoughts start to, you know, kind of butt heads with each other. But I I think it's a little 50 50. I think, you know, some players believe that they do just need to work harder, wait their opportunity and and put themselves in the position to succeed like Kuali Nishigaya. 
Just gonna say that. Or, <laughs> you know, there's players who go out there and maybe just for the first three quarters, your route doesn't get called. Maybe for, you know, the first half, you're not the running back. Or when you are the running back, you're only in there to block. Maybe when the blitz is coming to your side, you haven't been taught. So you mess up and now they want to pull you out as an offensive lineman. There's all these different little uh, cues, but I think you can definitely go either way with that. Once you start to have so many offensive struggles, you know, it really just boils down to how the player himself is going to deep or how he's going to dish out the blame. Is he going to say, Hey, it's on me, my responsibility. I need to step up and figure a way, you know, to help the team out more. Or is he going to say, well, it's the coaches calling the plays. And at the end of the day, I don't call the plays. So if I don't get the ball, that's just on them. When you look at the success that this team has had in the second half and you brought up, uh, you know, some of the, the, the truth behind it in regards to only one game where they outscored in the second half by opponents this season is, do you think that this is a reactive team? Does that tell you that this is a team that when they get into the locker room and the coaches are able to identify the weaknesses of the opponent and identify the strengths of the opponent and therefore change what you are doing? And, and it might be little things that, that we don't see um, because the, the base packages remain the same. Um, what does that tell you a, a, about the, the personality of this team moving forward in regards to is this a reactive team? Most definitely. Resiliency is, you know, that's the number one word a lot of fans use to describe this team. And like you said, the second half shows it. We don't see an offense in the second half that is just day and night from the offense we see in the first half. We may see a few tweaks here and there, but we never see an offense in the second half or even a defense in the second half, rather, that's like, whoa, they didn't do that at all in the first quarter. They didn't do that at all in the second quarter. It's like they tried it, but it didn't work in the first quarter. It didn't work in the second quarter. Now it's working. That leads me to believe that when these guys go in there with that L, in their mind, they don't want it. They're not trying to leave with a loss at Aloha Stadium. They want to come out and impose their will like you really should do in the first quarter, like you should have the mentality coming out to the inaugural kickoff. But these show, you know, these scores and the fact that these guys are down and always, except for Wyoming, always keep themselves in the game within the second half, that lets you know these guys got grit. It could be 21 to 0, 21 to 10 you know, whatever it is, but if they're down and they know they have pride in their team, when they come out in the second half, they're going to make it happen. So this is definitely a, a resilient group. You know, there's still a lot that needs to be worked on, but when you have second halves as good as you do, whether it's win or loss, that lets me know that these guys always get it together when they get back together after that first half and they come out with some fire. You know, it's one of those sports cliches, and we talk about it all the time, especially at the beginning of a season or the start of a new era in a program like we're experiencing here at the University of Hawaii under Todd Graham and his new staff after Nick Rolovich and company leave for Washington State is, has this team found its identity? And if so, what do you think that identity is when you hit the recruiting trail and you're trying to sell the program to people saying, this is what the University of Hawaii, this current existence of the University of Hawaii, this is what we're all about. What do you think it is? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. As far as finding identity, I really hope they don't think they have. And that's, you know, all due respect. You got two guys that account for almost 60% of your offense. You got three guys on defense that account for 110 
solo tackles between Corey Bethley, Darius Morsau, and Quentin Frazier. There's 22 starters. So if five guys can remove almost 60% of my production, and that's not even talking about the rotational guys, that's not even talking about the second string, that's definitely a problem. And you do not want that to be your identity. There is way too much talent, even sitting on the sideline at times, that can rotate in and be a pair of fresh legs for a defender or be a pair of fresh legs for a receiver that you can't end this season with only five or six really strong players and believe that's your identity. You have way more to give than that. There's way more left on the table. And we've all seen that when you look at the change from the first half to the second half. So as far as identity goes, I think they're definitely still trying to figure it out. Whole new coaching staff in the middle of COVID. So Let's just not pretend like these guys had all the time in the world to work with the offense. Let's not pretend like they had all the time in the world to figure out the guys they got. But now, seven games in, you should have slightly more of an idea. But I still don't know if you would call that an identity, especially when you look at the top-heavy production on both offense and defense boiled down to only a certain amount of players. All right, so that wraps up our talk of this San Jose State game. Let's put it into a box, shove it in the closet, never speak of it ever again. It is now time to move to the Bose Football Final Mailbox, where you can always find me on social media, at Rob DeMello Instagram, at Rob DeMello Facebook, and at Rob DeMello K-H-O-N. Much mahalo to everyone that sent in their questions and comments this week, as you do every week. We really appreciate the support here on BFF. And because of that, you are all our BFFs, right, RJ? Yes, sir. (laughs) So we are going to start the mailbox by going to HVE on Instagram, who says, I think everyone will agree that three and five would be horrible for this program, but would four and four be considered a big disappointment? And I'll set that up. Of course, the Rainbow Warriors are three and four on the year right now. They play UNLV this Saturday at Aloha Stadium. So yeah, if they lose the game three and five, that is bad. If they win the game at four and four, RJ, do you consider that a disappointment? Well, I mean, it's never a disappointment to win a game. I think if you beat UNLV and close out with a strong showing at home, then all of the disappointment can be in the past. I feel like if you lose this game, then every piece of disappointment from game one all the way to game eight, you will be able to hear through the entirety of the offseason. So I think they just got to finish out strong. I mean, it's a first-year coaching staff, and a lot of people know that. So there's a little bit of leniency when it comes to it. But it's also a program that just came from a championship. There's a lot of talent out there on that field. So there is a certain expectation I do believe is set. And I believe being able to go 500 is not a losing season and having a strong ending along with some of, you know, the close games that, you know, the Boise States and stuff like that, where you can kind of have the moral victory to go along with it. If you can have a strong showing against UNLV, close out uh, strong at Aloha Stadium, I think the disappointments will be a thing of the past. If not, you'll be hearing about it all offseason. Yeah, it's crazy how much one game can make a difference. Because let's just say that if the University of Hawaii were to beat San Jose State and then beat UNLV and you're looking at five and three, it feels like, wow, okay, that's a huge that that's a good season, you know, you're building momentum and, and going four and four there. It seems like a, such a huge drastic change from five and three, but in reality, it's just one game. And, and if this program can maintain its non losing status and, and not having a losing season, I think that's big for the program moving forward, given that 
four and four in Mountain West Conference play. And, you know, and, and when you look at the history of this program in the Mountain West Conference, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's not like this team was traditionally a six and two program, a seven and one program, eight and one program. This is a program that in its best years, obviously have gone five and three. In the Nick Rolovich era, four and four was pretty status quo. And when you look at Nick Rolovich's record over his four-year run at, with the Rainbow Warriors, he finished 28 and 27, was a 500 coach, and, and was a 500 coach uh, really below 500 in the Mountain West Conference in his time. So if you could just make sure that this program is not a losing one at, in your first year, speaking of Todd Graham, then I think that is a positive sign moving forward. It's a good starting point. But as the years stack up, if you stay there, then it becomes an issue. But I think for sure, four and four with a strong showing against UNLV definitely sets things up moving forward for your recruiting and for what you want to do here in the 2021 season. But I think we can all agree uh, with HBE that three and five would be disastrous. And and not only that, a winless UNLV team at Aloha Stadium, that would be bad. That would be bad, RJ. Oh boy, I would I could see the message boards now. I uh, when <laughs> please when on Saturday. It'll help everybody sleep a little bit easier. Absolutely. We'll move into our next question here on the mailbox. Justin on Facebook asks, What did you think of the San Jose State troll job on Twitter? after the game and so for anyone (laughs) for anyone that hasn't seen it yet san jose state they they had a few uh posts after the university of hawaii game um but the one that has gotten the most attention was a picture of a spartan player with a lay walking in the ocean uh dropping a uh helmet to the bottom uh, of the ocean there uh with the the uh caption that says you can't spell honolulu without the L's. And I know one of the instant reactions from uh, a couple of people were act like you've been there before San Jose State. Well, they haven't been there before. They haven't been 5-0 and since the 1930s. And so we don't know how they react to situations like this on social media because they haven't had a season like this in the social media era. Who knows? Maybe they're sending... <laughs> some nasty telegrams back in the day and you know and three weeks later the university of hawaii is like oh dang right but uh <laughs> but rj uh your thoughts on the twitter game of san jose state man i man i don't play no more so i had to compose myself i had my finger on the <laughs> tweet trigger i was about boy but eligibility don't count so if i'm anybody in that hawaii locker room this is what i say to them you keep that same energy the last time you were here you lost the last four or five years you played hawaii you've lost so i understand that you're excited to be undefeated that you're excited to come on the road to a game that should have been a home game and win and i get that you're proud of yourself i understand that and even if you want to take the route of saying you can't spell uh honolulu without the l's well, okay, that's great because you guys got a lot more L's over the last recent years than Hawaii does. So if that's the route they want to take, great. But as far as how UH should look at it, that should be fuel to your fire. Todd Graham, all the way down. That should be absolute fuel to your fire. You were gifted a home game. And instead of them just coming in and gracefully winning and going out, they were talking junk on the sidelines. They were pushing people and shoving. And then they put that on their Twitter Next year's San Jose score should be somewhere in the realm of 65 to negative three. 
because I'm fuming. So I know somebody over there should be fuming. But at the end of the day, when you let teams come into your house and beat you, you leave yourself susceptible to stuff like this. So do I think it was classy? No. Do I think Hawaii should get their lick back next year? Oh, most definitely. And at the end of the day, you know, once you lose, you can't really control how to win or celebrate. So, I mean, me personally, ooh, but I'm good now. <laughs> well, I got to say that there's one thing I'm grateful that San Jose State did that for. And it's because, you know, we've been talking about this for years, right? Where you don't think of Hawaii San Jose State as a rivalry, right? And, and, and which is crazy to say because it goes back to the WAC days, right? They've been conference partners for so many years. Um, they've had unbelievable football games where no matter how good the University of Hawaii is, San Jose State gives them a hard time. No matter how good San Jose State is, the University of Hawaii gives them a hard time. It, it's like we talked about Nevada a couple of weeks ago, how hey, it just always seems out that those games they're always kind of lopsided. No matter what, one team blows out the other. You don't have too many close games when those two teams play. San Jose State is the opposite. You can almost always guarantee a thriller. Yet, with all that being said, no one gets excited for San Jose State week, no matter what, right? I mean, you threw the Dick Tomey Legacy Trophy in there nowadays, and that adds to it, right? You get something. But this, I feel like just it makes this game so much better. I can't wait to talk about this game in 2021. I don't know what the Mountain West Conference is going to do where if this game is going to be in San Jose because they had to come here with the COVID-19 restrictions in Santa Clara County, or if you're going to stick to the schedule and have that game here at Aloha Stadium again. But you're absolutely right. The guys in the locker room are remembering this. And in fact, I saw a couple of them respond to that tweet last night. And so it just adds to what I feel like should be a good rivalry, a Hawaii San Jose state that just never had any real animosity, right? Maybe a big part of it had to do with Dick Tomey being the coach for so long there and the respect that he has for the program and vice versa that, uh, that you just never really saw any heat between these two teams. Well, the heat is on. Oh yes, it is most definitely on. And I mean, even me and Kavika watched it. When any Hawaii player ended up on that San Jose sideline, somebody was chirping, somebody was in his face. There was some late pushes. There was some shoves. There was, some, you know, some punches that were thrown that weren't caught by referees. So I, I think the heat of this rivalry is definitely starting to pick up. And, you know, a lot of people want to put, you know, BYU and teams like that in the top rivalry category. But you hit it on the head every year. Fresno State, San Jose State, you and these are teams that have no love loss. There is no sort of a friendship here. This isn't a team where we go and it's like, oh, we all played with you guys and we all know you guys, so it's all cool. When I walked the Red Mile at Fresno State, I got cussed out by a five-year-old and somebody granny. Like, it's, you know, this, this is football. It's a violent sport with rivalry. So, you know, San Jose got one up this year, but coming years forward, and I would staple it to the back of the locker room every time we play san jose state we got to remember how many l's you can put in honolulu well uh aaron on facebook uh has the next question here on the mailbox uh, he says i think uh has lost its connection with fans i think it's because of pay-per-view and not showing the games like k5 did if there was anything you could do to fix the connection between UH and the fan base, what would it be? And, and so the first things first, you know, you, you hear so much about the pay-per-view. Um, you know, uh, one thing I do want to point out is that uh, K5 did not show the games live 
and I think that's something that people misremember. Um, the road games, yes, we're live. Uh, and that's something that you don't get now that is not on pay-per-view. So I could see if there's an argument there. But home games were not live on Cave 5. Uh, they were replayed at 11 p.m. that night. And so I would go to the game with my dad. I would race home and rewatch the game uh, because they would play it at 11 at night. So you weren't able to watch it live back then. And, and then um, beyond that, K5 started the pay-per-view model uh, in 2005. So it's not like this is something that was created. Um, and, and then you got to look at, you know, there's, there's some interesting things with the University of Hawaii and football in the Mountain West Conference where UH has to be able to find ways to make more money because they are paying the travel subsidies for these programs to come to Hawaii in games. And that's something that other conference uh, teams don't have to worry about. And they're a part of the television contract. And, and so there's a lot that goes on beyond that. So let's talk about that second part of the question of if you could do anything to fix the connection between UH and the fan base, what would it be? And and I'll just preface it by saying, like, obviously, there's some huge things, right? I, I would move UH to the Pac-12, you know? So so let's talk yeah. about realistic, something that realistic that, that if you could do, RJ, you would do it because you think it would help create a better experience or a better connection between the University of Hawaii and its fan base. Uh, I mean, we don't have an entire podcast because I got, you know, hours worth of stuff I could say. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say if I'm the ambassador of UH Athletics and I'm trying to figure out a way to get back to the fans, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to get back to the fans. I'm going to give some exciting game days. I'm going to have some tailgate events. I'm going to have, you know, food vendors or smaller local acts that want to get their names out there, come perform at our games, you know, have carnival rides, have clowns, have all types of stuff where when people got to pack the family up to come down to Halava, because let's not forget, this is the one year and I don't know how long you can't go. There's you, you're not allowed to come to the stadium, no matter what happens, you can't come. So your only option is pay-per-view per this year. But in previous years, even when people could come to Halaba, they would rather choose to stay home and do the pay-per-view. And that had nothing to do with Spectrum because you still have the choice to come to Halaba. So if it's up to me, I figure out a way to reward the fans that are going to make that trek down to the stadium. Reward the fans that are going to spend all day with their families and a couple of hundred to come support the Bows. And then get those stories and make the game day so memorable that when they go home or go back to wherever they live and tell the stories of how the game day was, that's how you get more people to come back. You could say it's about Spectrum or whatever, but if people are choosing to watch their TV instead of come to Halava, then that has a lot more to do with the game day experience and nothing to do with Spectrum's broadcasting. Yeah, you know, a couple of things that, that you had mentioned that, that you know, I, I would have to jump in and say is that, you know, some of those things that you mentioned are happening right now at Aloha Stadium with the game day experience, with the food vendors, with the musical acts that are in on the concourse at Aloha Stadium before the game starts. And so those are things that are there. And I think with a game day experience, one thing that is overlooked by many, and, and this doesn't make it an excuse for the University of Hawaii, but you also have to remember is that they are not playing at an on-campus stadium. They're playing oh. at Aloha Stadium. They are guests of Aloha Stadium. And so Something as simple as it is, I, I remember when the Los Angeles Rams came here for the preseason game and they had the DJ and I brought it up to someone at UH and said, like, hey, DJ, that'd be kind of cool. I know you have the band, but maybe in between or maybe you could do something pregame, whatever. And, and the reply back was, well, 
we can't just do that. That has to come from Aloha Stadium and Aloha Stadium has their own music people. They have their own PA person. And so you can't bring in an outside source and get those people not working, right? And so there, there are so many pieces to the puzzle for that game day experience. It can be better, I will say that, um, but it's not as easy as a snap of a finger, uh, but definitely game day experience is something that needs work at the University of Hawaii. And I do think that if you are able to get closer to the construction of a new stadium, which creates a lot of those opportunities with technology, I mean, there are just so much that you can't do at Aloha Stadium because it's a stadium that was built in 1975. And so um, there's a lot of issues there in regards to what you can do and what you can present to the fans. No, yeah. And most, and you know, like, like I said, if I had an entire podcast, I could tell you everything that I'd attempt to do. But this is one thing that a lot of fans don't see. And that's the red tape. That's the contractual obligations. That's the bills they got to pay, the bill they got to foot when they go to Aloha Stadium. The fact that if you try to put a football stadium in Moli Lee and now you try to get all of that traffic, all that congestion, the bars, the clubs, the police, the security, you really can't make it work over there. So being that you're on an island, being that you're a guest in your own home stadium, being that you have to, like you said, pay the travel subsidies, it's almost like a mission impossible to try and get it better. So I kind of started with the very bottom at the game day as far as like, if it's something as small as getting finger paint for kids, whatever we can try to do, we'll just do a little bit of extra. But, you know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says get Bruno Mars to perform at halftime or, you know, knock down Stan Sheriff and all the other complexes so we can just have one football state. Like no Mission Impossible stuff like that, because at the end of the day, there is so much red tape that UH has to, you know, pay attention to and get through that I think it's a lot more difficult than people, you know, realize. So as far as me, realistically, I think you just got to start small and eventually try and work your way up to where it, you will make headway to have some of those bigger projects like, you know, having a new stadium built. You bring up something really interesting that, that got me thinking just now. It, you, you said, you know, face painting for kids. Or, you know, I think that has a big part of it too, is the families, right? Is You know, I think about, when I was a child, the University of Hawaii athletics program was so much a part of my life, right? I mean, whether it's going to games or whether it's, you know, uh, every Christmas getting t-shirts and hats and, and, and uh, you know, going to my youth basketball uh, league, my KBA in Kailua and the University of Hawaii basketball team were there on the opening day ceremonies and all that. I mean, I just feel like it was so much a part of my life. And one thing that has always been lacking with the University of Hawaii is no mascot, no, right? No mascot for the kids. Now, mm -hmm. so you had Vili the Warrior in, in the early 2000s, which is great, but even that was, you know, he was a contract, a, 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 a paid contractor, not really a part of the University of Hawaii. And, and, and so he was there at the events that you paid him to be there and he wasn't a true representative of the University of Hawaii. He was great. Love Vili. Vili is the man and, and it was a face of the program for a long time. And so he was recognizable and he was nationally known, internationally known for the University of Hawaii Warrior program. But I'm talking about if you had a mascot that was kid friendly, 
that you could send to assemblies at elementary schools, that you could send to opening day ceremonies, you could send them to outside of Walmart, you could send that mascot to, you know, 10Ks and whatever it is, right? And that then becomes a member of the University of Hawaii program where you don't need players, you don't need a coach, you don't need scheduling, you don't need, you just need to throw anyone into this suit and send them and that University of Hawaii brand is being represented all over the state all year long, right? 24-7, 365. I mean, you make a couple of them, you can send one one place, one another place. And, and I think that is lacking because I know as a father is that if kids are interested in something, then the parents are interested in something, right? Yeah. And if you if you have an assembly at school and, you know, and I know that there's a a lot of uh, red tape in regards to uh, a mascot, because, you know, when I was a kid, there was a mascot for the University of Hawaii in a suit, but it was, uh, you know, a a native Hawaiian depiction of a warrior. And then that could be uh, viewed as, uh, you know, insensitive culturally. And so so why not use an animal? I mean, I know they're the Rainbow Warriors, but. I mean, why not use an animal that's special to Hawaii, like a Hawaiian monk seal, um, a nene goose, or whatever? I, no. I, I actually like Hawaiian monk seal. After I say, say it, Hawaiian monk seal, yeah. Is you put a Hawaiian monk seal in a UH jersey and a helmet or whatever, right? He's, he's, he's a, a big, larger than life, and you throw him out there and you get him interacting with the community, and the kids recognize that, and the kids think UH is is fun and is cool as a second grader, and then that. I mean, I know again. This isn't going to change everything. This isn't going to make the University of Hawaii, you know, billions of dollars or whatever it is. But we're just talking about what can be done. I think that's something that would make a big impact where it just becomes a much more fan friendly and family friendly interaction. um, And which I imagine isn't that much. It probably shouldn't cost that much to make that. It probably shouldn't. Uh, require much where you could get a student you know you give a scholarship to a student that can that can do backflips or whatever it is and put them in that suit right so it's just little things like that that uh, you know yeah we want to look at what would be the big splash change but sometimes it's just a little tweaks here and there and sometimes it's just little introductions of things that can make the world of a difference no yeah and I think me and you are we're on the same page with this you know small extra there's food vendors now let's get two or three more there's local acts now let's get two or three more and like you said we're not going for bruno mars i'm not even asking for fiji or common kings to show up let's get one of these kids out mililani that's starting a garage band and got a little following and get a couple of their high school friends to come and their parents to come and their cousins to come and you know the guy that's just now trying to get his food truck off the ground let's give him an opportunity to serve at the stadium so his friends can come his family could come and like you said you become a part of the community by doing this you become a part of the community by giving people opportunity and when you do that then it's like you said the kids become interested the parents become interested it becomes a family thing where now instead of the father being all hoorah like i want to go watch uh it's all the way down to the kids getting up at 7 30 in the morning knocking on your door like that when we go into the stadium so whatever small you know way you could try and get there because as we know there's so much red tape it's so expensive to get stuff done if you could take those small steps into getting hawaii into every household of the community the university of hawaii whether it's the monk seal that you were talking about or as simple as this h that's sitting right behind me if we could find a way to get that brand into every household at least half the households on the island of just Oahu, 
you could see a, a complete turnaround as far as fan interaction with UH. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm vibing on this Hawaiian Monksio idea, man. So if any, anyone listening is, is a good at uh, Photoshop, I mean, create this mascot for me. I just want to see what it's going to look like. Maybe we'll send it up to a lower campus and see what could happen. But uh, I'm all aboard the Hawaiian Monksio hype train for a mascot. Choo-choo! Well, thanks a lot, everybody, for sending in the questions and comments to the Bose Football Final Mailbox. Again, you can find me on social media, at Rob DeMello Instagram, at Rob DeMello Facebook, at Rob DeMello K-H-O-N on Twitter. And you can find RJ at A-R-E-J-A-Y Hollis on both Twitter and Instagram. You know, he couldn't just be RJ Hollis. He had to be special. He had to be fancy like he always is. (laughs) Mr. Bougie over here. But... (laughs) But, uh, <laughs> well, um, before we go, let's talk about this upcoming weekend. We brought it up a couple times here in this episode already. UNLV comes to town this Saturday at Aloha Stadium at 6 p.m. It is the final game of the season. Um, you know, for anyone holding out hope on a bowl game, you could hope all you want. Even with the win, moving uh, Hawaii to four and four, I just find it very unrealistic. But hey, I don't want to rain on your parade. So if you, if you think it might happen, just hold on to that hope. We'll find out on December twentieth. But Rainbow Warriors against UNLV, a winless Rebels team that come in here at zero and five. So the polar opposite of what you saw with San Jose State coming here undefeated. Um, there's nothing more dangerous than a team with nothing to lose, and a team with nothing to lose is a team that hasn't won yet this season. Yeah, and you, I mean, I was literally about to say it as soon as you were going to give me the floor, but there is nothing, and I mean, nothing more dangerous than a winless team. They know that the only thing they can do for the rest of this season is spoil your season. And they don't have any more opportunities until next year to play football again. So schematically or on paper, they may look like a winless team. They may look like a team you can just go out there and win, but I'm telling you right now, they're going to bring every bit of fire that they have into Aloha Stadium. And if Hawaii does allow UNLV, a winless team, to beat you at home to end the season, then a bad taste in the mouth would be like level one of what's about to happen when the offseason comes around and you know the Twitter fingers and the message boards get to lighten up. Because I'm telling you right now, you lose – to a winless team at home. (sighs) Yeah, and when you look at UNLV against Hawaii, obviously you want to see a Rainbow Warrior victory and see this team move to four and four and see what they can do moving forward. But when you look at weaknesses of this team, and I feel like I already know what the answer is going to be, but what is the biggest weakness that you want to see strengthened here before the clock strikes zero and the 2020 season is over. Running game, running game, running game, and once again, running game. Shevin Cordero leads the team in every single rushing category. Carries, touchdown, and average. Shevin Cordero is the leading rusher and also the starting quarterback. This is not a triple option, and I've been saying this since week two. You cannot have a run game predicated on a pass game, and you're not going to have any solid offense if you can't get the game running. We've seen this defense show up and show out. A couple of more D linemen, a few more small fixes on the scheme, and, you know, even with the three-man front, they make it work. But this offense has got to find a way to run the ball. Shevin's got 
passes to almost every single wide receiver on the team. So we're not really worried about that. And with time, you'll get that timing down. But that running game has got to take off before the clock strikes zero. You need that not only for confidence. I feel like you're going to need that to even beat UNLV. You need that for clock control. And more importantly, you need these offensive linemen as well as Day-Day Hunter, Miles Reed, and Calvin Turner to know that come next year, when we need you guys to run the ball, we won't be afraid to do it. Well, we shall see what happens here between the University of Hawaii and UNLV. The regular season finale for this Rainbow Warrior football team. Again, kickoff on Saturday. It's at Aloha Stadium at 6 p.m. You can catch RJ, Kavika Hallams, maybe Nate Lawa. He missed the last few yeah, games. I, know. I don't know what that dude's up to. He's a busy man, though. Uh, Robert Kikala, Rich Miano uh, on the Spectrum Sports crew. We'll all be there on Saturday. We hope you guys are tuning in. And uh, we will see you again next week right here on Bo's Football Final every Monday at KHON2.com and everywhere you download podcasts. RJ Hollis, have yourself a great week, buddy. Aloha. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.